I'm staying today. The episode's dropping on Mondays. It's the man, it's the man, watch that. It's the man, it's the man, watch that. It's the man, it's the man, watch that podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, fall is my favorite season. The weather in the Northeast is perfect. I can walk outside without sweating. Leaves start changing colors. My favorite holiday, Halloween, is near. But what I always looked forward to was the new season of television. Though in this era of 365 24-7 streaming, there is no more anticipation because content is always being released. There's no break from the movies, documentaries, series, miniseries, mini-movie docu-series. I liked when you had the summer to unwind and, you know, go outside. Breathe in the fresh air. Interact with those, um, things. Uh, what do you call them? Oh, oh, right, people. Then it'd come in the mail. Entertainment Weekly, TV Guide, or People Magazine. And it wouldn't be your thin, 80-page, barely-heard-a-fly edition. It would be the work-out-your-arms, knock-out-your-neighbor, double-stuffed fall TV special that had previews of all the new and returning series along with synopsises. Syn synopsizes. Synopsises. But these days, broadcast television doesn't have much to offer. If it's not a reality show, it's Law & Order and one of its spin-offs. It's not surprising that the ratings are down and viewership has moved to streaming. I miss that anticipation, though. Tuning into the first episode of a new series and seeing if it lived up to the hype. Waiting seven days for that next one. Then being utterly disappointed when the network cancels it after episode three. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It. Two stars Watch at Your Own Risk. Three stars Standard Fair. Four stars Worth Checking Out. Five stars Must See. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum, tangents to a maximum. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie The Apartment from 1960. It was directed by Billy Wilder, who helmed the classic Double Indemnity, Ace in the Hole, The Seven Year Itch, The Spirit of St. Louis, Sabrina, Stalag 17, Some Like It Hot, and won Oscars for The Lost Weekend, Sunset Boulevard, and The Apartment. Classic film director. Now for a little trivial trivia. Billy Wilder told another Billy, Bob Thornton, that he should write a screenplay that he could perform in because no one was going to hire him as an actor. Thornton wrote and starred in Sling Blade, which would win him an Oscar. The screenplay was co-written by Billy Wilder and IAL Diamond, the latter who scribed Monkey Business, Some Like It Hot, and Love in the Afternoon. The pair would win an Academy Award for Best Writing, Story, and Screenplay, written directly for the screen for The Apartment. We're introduced to C.C. Bud Baxter, who works for Consolidated Life, an insurance company in New York City. He's very buttoned up, knows all the facts and figures, very numbers-based, kinda nebbish. 
He's portrayed by the legendary Jack Lemmon, known for The Odd Couple, The China Syndrome, Grumpy Old Men, and won an Academy Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Mr. Roberts, and Best Actor in a Leading Role for Save the Tiger. Bud avoids going home because of a problem with his apartment in the Upper West Side. You see, he's allowing certain executives at his office, Mr. Dobrisch, Mr. Vanderhoff, Mr. Eichelberger, and Mr. Kirkaby, to entertain their lady friends. Entertain being a polite euphemism, all behind the backs of their wives. Bud keeps an appointment schedule of their encounters and sends them his apartment key via inter-office mail, and after they're done, they leave it underneath the welcome mat. In return, the executives will put in a good word for him to the boss, Mr. Sheldrake, for a promotion. When Bud returns home, he cleans up the apartment. With all the ruckus coming from his place and the garbage being filled with empty bottles of booze, the neighbors get the impression that he's a bit of a playboy. To the contrary, he lives a pretty quiet life. He spends his nights channel surfing and eating a TV dinner. Bud gets called up to Mr. Sheldrake's office. On the flight up, he strikes a conversation with Fran Kublik, the elevator operator at the company, whom he's attracted to. She's played by Shirley MacLaine, famous for Terms of Endearment, Steel Magnolias, and Postcards from the Edge. She compliments him and puts a flower in his lapel buttonhole for embellishment. Bud walks into the office of Mr. Sheldrake, who's portrayed by Fred McMurray, known for The Absent-Minded Professor, Double Indemnity, and The Cane Mutiny. He's heard good things about Bud. Got a strong recommendation from Mr. Dobrish. Loyal, cooperative, resourceful. Mr. Kickaby says he works late without overtime. Mr. Vanderhoff and Mr. Eichelberger wants him transferred to their departments. It makes Mr. Sheldrake a little suspicious and interrogates him. The last time someone was this popular with the executives, an employee was running a bookie joint. His line of questioning is interrupted by a phone call from his wife. He tells her that he's taking the branch manager from Kansas City to see the music man. When he hangs up, Mr. Sheldrake tells Bud that he knows about the arrangement with the apartment. He swaps with him the tickets to the theater for the key to his pad for the night, all the while dangling the carrot of a promotion. Bud waits in the lobby for Fran and asks if she wants to come with him to the music man. She turns him down at first because she has plans to meet up with someone for drinks, but says she can meet up with him at the theater afterwards. This is my odd movie observation. Bud and Fran are walking down the street and he starts rattling off facts about her. She asks him, how do you know so much? I thought he would say, well, I hear the conversations you have with people in the elevator, or something to show that he's observant and attentive. But he says, I looked up your card in the group insurance file, and notes that he knows her height, weight, social security number. And she finds this utterly charming. That's called stalking. Fran meets up for drinks with Mr. Sheldrake. They had dated for two months while his wife and kids were away in the country for the summer. He announces that he's going to divorce her if she still loves him. As they leave the bar, Mr. Sheldrake's secretary, Miss Olson, spots them together. They go back to the apartment as Bud waits outside the Majestic Theater. Alone. But good news awaits him. Bud is promoted to second administrative assistant. He's congratulated by his four apartment dwellers, though it comes with a warning. They helped his career advance, but now he's not allowing them to use the apartment as frequently. Mr. Sheldrake appears in the office and the others leave. He wants Bud to create a second apartment key for him so that they don't need to pass it around, especially with the prying eyes in the company. Bud agrees and gives him a compact that he found in the couch belonging to his lady friend. Mr. Sheldrake mentions that he's just using her. Here's a quote without context. I'd like to spell it out for you, only I can't spell. Six weeks later at the office Christmas party, Bud brings a drink to Fran and invites her to the party. Any hard feelings are now water under the bridge. 
When he leaves to get her another drink, Miss Olsen mentions to Fran about how Mr. Sheldrake has had multiple affairs and always lying about divorcing his wife to be with them. Bud returns with a drink and brings Fran to his office to show off a new purchase, a junior executive bowler hat. She takes out her compact so he can look in the mirror, and he recognizes it as the one he found in the apartment. He makes the connection between her and Mr. Sheldrake. Oh, what a web we weave! The apartment almost feels like two different movies. The first half was a light-hearted comedy, but once some of the revelations emerge, it takes a bit of a dramatic turn. It slows down a little during this point, but picks it up in Act 3 to a satisfying conclusion. It feels a bit risque for 1960. I'm sure if it were remade, there would be no subtlety in the dialogue, which was really stellar. Jack Lemmon, as always, in my opinion, is great. You could see the growth of his character from the beginning where he's a bit of a pushover to the end where he's grown a backbone. I thought Shirley MacLaine was excellent. Her character was outgoing and friendly, but there was a deep vulnerability with her. What's interesting about her is most of the roles I've seen her in are later in her career. I'm not that familiar with her earlier work, but it would be interesting to go back and watch some of it because her performance was really strong. It's odd seeing Fred McMurray as a bit of a scumbag. He's not a stereotypical bad guy, but he's just not a good guy. It's definitely counter to the roles in The Absent-Minded Professor and the family-friendly fair that he was known for. This is something to look out for. This movie was the inspiration for Promises, Promises, the 1968 musical with book by Neil Simon, music by Burt Bacharach, and lyrics by Hal David. The Apartment was produced by the Marish Company, who worked closely with United Artists on The Magnificent Seven, West Side Story, The Great Escape, The Pink Panther, and many others. The cinematography was captured by Joseph Lachelle, whose filmography includes Marty, The Fortune Cookie, and Laura, which he received the Academy Award for Best Cinematography, Black and White. It was edited by Daniel Mandel, who's known for The Pride of the Yankees, The Best Years of Our Lives, and The Apartment, winning Best Film Editing Oscar for all three. The score was composed by Adolf Deutsch. He won three Academy Awards for Best Music, Scoring of a Musical Picture for Annie Get Your Gun, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and Oklahoma, Where the Wind Comes Sweeping Down the Plain. Really beautiful score, lush orchestrations. It has that classic film vibe. The soundtrack features songs that are complementary to the scene, such as Jingle Bells during a Christmas party. No popular songs of the time. The runtime is two hours and five minutes. It had a budget of $3 million and grossed $25 million at the box office. It was nominated for 10 Oscars at the 1961 Academy Awards, winning five. Ultimately, the movie comes down to Cheese Crackers, Cast Iron Kidneys, Be My Guest, Precious Cargo, Executive Material, Ring-a-Ding-Ding, Dullesville, Closing Time, Diner's Club, and Horse Whipping. I give it three and a half out of five stars, maybe leaning more towards four. If you've seen The Apartment and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along. Each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. Jack Lemmon was one of my favorite actors. We'll look over the fact that I hadn't seen The Apartment until this week. There are people who are movie stars, and they seem not to be born of this universe. But Jack just seemed like an everyman. No matter the role or the situation, you could relate to his character. He made acting seem so easy, which is probably why I had the gall to attempt it. 
but anyone who thinks it's just memorizing lines and saying them doesn't understand how hard it is to make look so easy. That was Jack Lemmon, and I wasn't the only fan. At the 1997 Golden Globe Awards, Ving Rhames was nominated for Best Actor, Miniseries, or Television Film for his portrayal of the titular role in Don King, Only in America. One of his fellow nominees was Jack Lemmon, who was juror number eight in the television movie 12 Angry Men. When Ving Rhames was announced as the winner, he called Jack Lemmon onto the stage and gave him the Golden Globe. He believed art was about giving. It's rare that you see something genuine happen at these award shows. Who won the Academy Award for Best Director in 1967? Who knows? But Adrian Brody kissing Halle Berry? The Streaker? Ellen handing out pizza? Adele Dazeem? In case anyone is wondering, Ving Rhames never took back the award. At the 2000 Golden Globes, Jack Lemmon won Best Actor in a TV movie for Inherit the Wind. At the beginning of his speech, he said, In the spirit of Ving Rhames, I'm going to give this to Jack Lemmon. These clips can be found in the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Huff, created by Bob Lowry, another short-lived series. It had an all-star cast including Hank Azaria, Paget Brewster, Anton Yelchin, Andy Cumio, Oliver Platt, and Blythe Danner. After a young patient commits suicide in his office, psychiatrist Dr. Craig Huffstad, aka Huff, has a crisis of confidence and questions his place in life. They had many high-profile guest appearances from industry veterans, including Swoozie Kurtz, Lara Flynn Boyle, Faith Prince, Sharon Stone, Annie Potts, and Angelica Houston. I have the tiniest bit of connection to the show. So I visited my friend who was living in Los Angeles at the time, and we had dinner on the rooftop deck with Hudson Leake, who played Callisto in Xena Warrior Princess. She could be one of the nicest people I've ever met, and so down to earth. She had a cameo appearance in my friend's film. But anyway, months later, I'm watching an episode of Huff, and they actually filmed a scene exactly where we were. It could be the first time I'd ever seen a place I'd been on screen. I don't mean like a public place like Times Square or Shea Stadium or anything like that. This was a random apartment building. Kind of fun to see. The series' music was written by W.G. Snuffy Walden, known for Roseanne, The Wonder Years, Once and Again. This guy is everywhere. If there was a Matt Watch That podcast Hall of Fame, he would be the first inductee for most mentions. I really enjoyed this series. It was a character-based drama. Wasn't always the easiest to watch. You had to be in that type of mood. But the acting was great by all parties, especially if you'd only seen Hank Azaria and Oliver Platt in, like, comedic roles. That doesn't mean it wasn't funny. There were certainly some outrageous scenarios that the characters found themselves in, but ultimately, it was about finding happiness in this crazy world. Huff was on for two seasons, 26 episodes from 2004 to 2006. It won three Primetime Emmy Awards and was critically acclaimed over its short run. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. I plan on having interactive elements, so follow, subscribe, and like for all the latest news, updates, and polls. Until next time... O-U-T out.
is directed by Billy Wilder, who helmed the classic Double Indemnity, Ace in the Hole, The Seven Year Itch, The Spirit of St. Louis, Sabrina, Stalic 17, Some Like It Hot. Can I give myself more S words to pronounce with Invisalign in my mouth? One of his fellow nominees was Jack Lemmon, who is juror number eight in the television movie Angry, ang Really Angry Men. So really angry. It was directed by Billy Wilder, who helmed the classics Double Indemnity. He's portrayed by the legendary Jack Lemmon, known for The Odd Couple, The China Syndrome, Drumpy Old, Drumpy old Men, Drunky Old Men, Drunky Old Matt. <laughs>